Hi, and welcome to the Radius Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're interested in finding out more information about Radius Church, please check us out on our website, radiuschurch.tv. So it was January 2nd, 2019, and I woke up early that morning somewhere around 5 a.m. after having only slept for a few hours. And right as I woke up, I was immediately just kind of overwhelmed with this feeling that something was horribly, horribly wrong. And I quickly got out of bed, walked into the living room, sat out on the couch, and was trying to process what exactly was going on. It felt like my body was completely shutting down. Felt like the blood had been drained out of me. My heart was racing. My stomach was in knots. I was a little dizzy. And... I was sitting there trying to just figure out what in the world was going on. I had this sensation of like these heat waves that were just like washing over my chest. And I had never felt or experienced anything like that in my entire life up until that point. I had no idea what was going on. All I knew is that something seemed like it was horribly, horribly wrong, and I was absolutely terrified. And my wife got up out of bed, and she had was like, you know, is, is everything okay? It's not like me to be up at 5 a.m., okay? We'll just say that. I'm, I like to sleep in a little bit. So she knew something was a little off, and I'd been feeling a little under the weather the few days before that, and so she got up and just, you know, she's like, is everything okay? Is, you know, you doing all right? And I said, I don't know what's going on, but I, th- I think we need to go to the hospital. Something's going on. I don't know what's happening. And so she said, okay. And so she she went to just get ready real quick, and just in the minute or so she was gone, the, the thought of me having to get up, get into the car, and drive to the hospital was like more than I could handle. It was just like too much, just that simple thing of getting in a car and driving. And she came back a couple minutes later, and I was like, you know, I, I think you just need to call an ambulance. Um, I, I, I can't even get up and like get in the car. So, And so she dialed 911 and, and called an ambulance, and after she hung up off, got up off the phone, I went to get up off the couch to go use the bathroom. And so I stood up off the couch, took a step, and the next thing I knew, I was in my kitchen laying down on the floor on my back, staring straight up at the ceiling with my wife crouched over me going, are, are you okay? Is everything all right? And I had passed out. And somehow in her ninja-like reflexes, she actually caught me as I was falling to the floor saved me from smacking my head on the ground. So thank you, honey. I appreciate it. It was, uh, I, I was already going through one brand new experience that morning. I didn't need to add a concussion to that as well. So she caught me and, and luckily I, I came to pretty quickly and, and got up and um, ambulance showed up a few minutes later and they, you know, kind of hooked me up to some stuff and was asking me how I was doing. They were able to determine pretty quickly that I was pretty badly dehydrated and so hooked me up to an IV and everything, and they decided to, to go. And so they took me to the hospital. And so I got checked into the hospital room, and the doctor came in, and I told him that I was kind of feeling under the weather the last few days. I thought it was just a cold, you know, sore throat, congestion and stuff. And they said, well, maybe you have the flu, so let's, let's give you a flu test. And so I said, okay. So they gave me a flu test, and that came back a little bit later. And they said, well, Jake, yeah, you, turns out you got the flu. And instantly I was relieved. I was like, oh, okay, good. Okay, well, you know, the flu's not fun, but at least I know what it is now. Obviously, I just, it was 
it wasn't just a cold, it was the flu, and I got dehydrated, that's why I passed out, so okay. Well, that relief lasted all of about five seconds, and because there was just this voice in the back of my mind that was just telling me, no, Jake, that's not it. It's not just the flu. There's something else going on here. There's something else wrong, something else. It's not just the flu. Because I had had the flu before, and I knew what those symptoms felt like. But in addition to that, I had all these other symptoms that I couldn't explain, I couldn't understand. And so I just couldn't shake that thought that there was something else going on. And so they discharged me a little bit later that day, and I spent the next few days in bed recovering from the flu. But in addition to that, um, like I said, I had all these other feelings and, and symptoms and just trying to figure out what exactly that was. And for the next few days, just laying in bed, there was multiple times where I just sat there crying because I had no clue what I was going through. All I knew is that it felt like something terrible was happening, and I just, again, couldn't shake that feeling that there was something else wrong with me. And I felt like I was kind of having this out-of-body experience almost that I, I was so used to my body and my mind handling and processing things in a certain way, and now it wasn't. I, I didn't feel like myself. I was freaking out, and I was freaking out because I was freaking out. And it was just this kind of vicious cycle. And, and so in addition to that, my wife at the time happened to be about four to five months pregnant. And so here I am laying in bed, having no clue what's going on, not even feeling like myself, uh, feeling weak, feeling vulnerable, and I'm getting ready to be a dad in a few months. And how in the world am I going to be a dad when I feel like, you know, I can't even get out of bed? Like, what am I supposed to do? And so, yeah, those were some tough days. And come to find out, and I, I didn't even really fully realize and understand that what I had experienced that morning it took me a couple months, two to three months, but what I had experienced that morning was a panic attack. And after having gone through multiple tests of blood tests and x-rays and uh, I had ultrasound and I had an endoscopy where they put me out and went and checked my stomach because I was having stomach pain. Um, but it was a panic attack and that day started what has now been about a three and a half year battle with anxiety. And that's what I want to talk to you a little bit about today. So there was a day just a couple months ago where I was just kind of going about my normal everyday routine just like we all do. And a Bible verse just kind of hit me out of nowhere. I don't know if you've maybe experienced something like that. You're just kind of going through every day, and God just kind of speaks to you, and a Bible verse just kind of pops into your head. And that happened to me just a few months ago. I think it was God's way of, of telling me what I needed to hear. And it was kind of like him sort of giving me a little elbow, like, hey, Jake, you need to hear this today because you know what this means when you read this verse. And so I knew when I opened up my Bible and read the full verse and everything that my next message would be talking about my battle with anxiety. And so I want to read to you today what that verse is, and it is from 2 Corinthians chapter 12 in verses 7 through 10. And here's what it says. This is the Apostle Paul writing his letter to the church in Corinth. Therefore, to keep me from being too elated, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times... I appealed to the Lord about this, that it would leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. 
So I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak, then I am strong. And that is the title of my message today, Weakness is Strength. And I think one of the things that Paul's saying here is that there's a different kind of strength, the, the kind that's truly valuable and really worth having, but in order to possess it, we have to be weak. And I you just can't help but kind of wonder and ask, like, how, how can that be? How is weakness strength? It's like it doesn't really make sense, right? And I love that about the Bible because it messes with your mind a little bit and, and really kind of gets you to readjust your understanding and, and shift your perspective on things and, and how is it that weakness can be strength. So to, to speak a little bit more about anxiety, anxiety is an attack on our identity. And when, when the thing that we've kind of put our security and safety in begins to crumble and get shaky, that's when the anxiety sets in. And so for me personally, my anxiety, which was triggered that morning, has really all been about my own health and, and well-being. And I think without even realizing it up until that point, um, that's kind of what I was putting some of my safety and security in, just my own health. And I've, I've always been a, a pretty healthy person. And even back in school, I can barely ever remember missing days due to being sick. And same when I got older and started working. I was just always good and healthy and just, you know, ready to go and do whatever. And so that came under attack. And so that sense of security was under attack. And it just felt like the foundation was crumbling and I was losing my sense of self. And um, I want to give you some statistics regarding anxiety that I think are pretty eye-opening. Uh, so the first one is this. According to the CDC, they say that over 50% of Americans will suffer from a mental illness at some point in their lives, and anxiety and depression are at the very top of that list. Anxiety is the most common mental illness in the United States, affecting 40 million adults, or 19% of the population. Basically, one in five, pretty much. Um, anxiety is treatable, yet only 36.9% suffering receive treatment, and there's a variety of different reasons why. And anxiety even affects children, as 31.9% of children ages 13 to 18 are affected by anxiety disorders. And so, I'm just curious if I was to ask for a raise of hands, if you feel comfortable, anybody in here who would feel comfortable enough to raise their hand to say, I have dealt with anxiety or I'm currently dealing with anxiety at some point. And so, just for a second, if everybody could just kind of look around, because there's a handful of people with their hands raised, there's power in that. Because everybody who's got their hand raised is a story, is a testimony, is somebody who you could talk to who could help you deal with this, this fear, this weakness, this vulnerability that you're going through. And so, as I'm today talking about anxiety, really my, my message is just kind of more about weakness in general and, and what we would perceive that to be. See, I believe that everybody has a burden to bear or everybody has a thorn in their side as Paul did and one of my thorns happens to be the, the thorn of anxiety. And but everybody has that weakness, that vulnerability, that fear, that insecurity, whatever it is. And we don't like to talk about them very much. And for obvious reasons, it 
makes us feel sometimes ashamed, makes us feel embarrassed, and other reasons as well. And I think sometimes in church and Christians in particular, we maybe even feel more ashamed when we're dealing with things like this. Um, we may have feelings like, you know, if I had enough faith, I wouldn't be dealing with this, or if I was a good Christian, I wouldn't be going through this, or, you know, God forbid, we think, that, oh, God must be punishing me for something. But what Paul says in that verse just kind of blows my mind because he says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, which is just, again, it's kind of mind-blowing because it's like, who says that? I mean, that's, we don't do that. We don't get up here and boast gladly of our weaknesses. It's not stuff we post on social media and all that stuff, but Paul's like, you know what? I'm going to just boast gladly of my weaknesses because ultimately God gets all the glory through that. So that, so what I want to talk to you about today, obviously, is that weakness is, in, is strength. And how, how can that be? How do we get our weakness to become strength? How can we kind of make that shift? How can we see our weaknesses and vulnerabilities, and how can they be a source of strength in our life? And so that's what I want to talk about. I've got three points, and then my third point has three more points. So <laughs> we've got six total points. I'm my father's son. What can I say? I, <laughs> can't help it. They don't all start with the same letter, but I'm trying. So we're getting there. I'm a work in progress. Okay. So, all right. Um, okay. So uh, how does our weakness become strength? Number one is we have got to confront our weaknesses. We got to confront it. So I want to take you to a portion of scripture that may seem totally unrelated to what we're talking about today, but I think there is some truth and some wisdom in there for us. Um, and so we're going to go to the book of Numbers, chapter 21, and I'm going to read verses 4 through 9. So to, before I read this real quick, just to kind of set the scene, this is um, Moses has got the children of Israel. They've, they've made their exodus out of Egypt, and they're heading into Canaan, which is the promised land. And so now they're in this in-between phase where they're going through the desert or the wilderness, and this is where it picks up. It says, uh, from Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, but the people became discouraged on the way. The people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent poisonous serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord to take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a poisonous serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten shall look at it and live. So Moses made a serpent of bronze and put it upon a pole. And whenever a serpent bit someone, that person would look at the serpent of bronze and live. It's an interesting story, isn't it? A little unusual. Um, so first off, they're, they're in the wilderness here. They're in, like, they're in the desert, and they were in an actual desert, but if you kind of you know, think of what a desert symbolizes, and I think that can speak to us because we go through deserts in our lives, and especially for myself when I was experiencing that panic attack and that anxiety, um, I felt like I was in a desert. I felt isolated. I didn't know like 
<laughs> where I was, where I was going, how to navigate this territory. I felt like I had a lack of resources. I felt vulnerable. I felt weak. I felt, you know, I had doubts. But there's an interesting truth in this story. See, the serpents came and they bit the Israelites. And then God tells Moses to fashion a bronze serpent, put it on a pole. And every time somebody was bitten, they had to confront the snake and they would live. They had to confront the very thing that they were afraid of. And that was the thing that caused them to, the, the, the poison not to harm them. They confronted they, they voluntarily confronted the thing that they were afraid of. And so I think that can speak to us. Um, it's interesting. There's, there's a, a type of therapy in, in medicine where doctors and therapists and stuff called exposure therapy, where they are dealing with a patient who is afraid or they're uh, avoiding something that they should be confronting or whatever it is, and they get them to expose themselves to that thing uh, little by little or step by step. And when they expose themselves and they confront the thing that they're afraid of, they get braver. And it's interesting here because in the story, it doesn't mean that the fear or the snakes go away. The snakes were still there, but they now had the strength to handle it. You find out that you're braver and stronger and more capable than you thought you were if you can confront your vulnerability and your insecurity and the weakness in your life. Um, and I just think that that's really powerful because ultimately it's, it's not really your strength, it's his strength living inside of you. And the same spirit that raised Christ from the grave is the same spirit that lives and dwells inside of you. And so you have the strength to, if you confront this thing, you are more capable and you are stronger and braver than you realize. And I just want you to, to be reminded of that. So that's the first thing. We've got to confront it. Number two is... We have to take responsibility for our weaknesses. We got to take responsibility for them. So in referencing back to the open, opening verse, so try to follow this train of thought here, okay? So there is strength and weakness. And if there's strength, there's power. And with great power comes great responsibility. Maybe you've heard that quote before, uh, but it's true. With great power comes great responsibility. So maybe I have a responsibility to my weakness, to the thorn in my side. Maybe um, I have to be responsible. I am, I am answerable for it. I am accountable for the thorn, for the weakness in my life. And the root of responsibility is just response. So we have to take an action. Uh, how are we going to respond when, con when we confront the weaknesses in our life? And I think what we need to do by taking responsibility for it, it means we have to carry it. We have to bear our burdens. And I think the Bible says something interesting about bearing our burdens or carrying our cross. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus says this. He told his disciples, If any wish to come after me, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. So that's what Jesus did. He took the responsibility of carrying that burden. He, he bore the suffering. He bore the, the weakness, the burden in his life. And I, and I think that's what we are called to do as well. By, by carrying our cross, we are taking responsibility for the weaknesses and vulnerabilities in our life. And it's interesting, as I was writing this, I was, I was thinking like, okay, why, why do we become Christian? Why do we make a commitment and give our lives to Christ? And 
I think predominantly it's because, you know, we obviously desire to be more Christ-like. We desire transformation and, and sanctification and redemption and restoration. We, we want to give our lives to God so that he can redeem us to, you know, our, our original intent to make us more Christ-like. And, and so is it possible that if we carry our cross and take responsibility for our weaknesses, then he is going to use those burdens to bring about the redemption and the restoration in our life. Um, ultimately, the answer is the cross. The answer to the healing that we need is the cross. And what does the cross represent? It's the burden. But the cross is also the healing for those things. And let me show it to you in Scripture real quick, because this is a really interesting verse out of John chapter 3, because John actually makes a direct reference to the story we just read in Numbers. And this is how we know that the cross is the healing. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So why is John making a reference to Moses with the serpent in the wilderness, all the way back to that story in the Old Testament, to Jesus being lifted up on the cross? And so a couple things about the serpent. Serpents represent... In, in ancient times and in the Bible, and even today, they represent a couple different things. First of all, they, they represent sin and evil, but serpents also represent healing as well. And maybe many of you have seen this picture that we see on ambulances all over the place. That looks like it's pretty much taken right out of the uh, story that we just read in Numbers, right? So the snake represents evil and sin, but also healing. And when Jesus died on the cross, he really kind of took on both aspects of the snake. He took on the evil and the sin onto himself, uh, but then because he did that, he also provides the healing for that as well. And so that's how we know that the healing that we need is in the cross. It's interesting that the central image of our faith is, again, our Savior dying on the cross and enduring you know, carrying the burden, having the crown of thorns, enduring pain and suffering, but it's ultimately through that that it provides the healing that we need. And so if we carry our cross, if we take responsibility for our weaknesses, I think God is going to be able to use those things to bring about the transformation and the redemption and the restoration in our life. But we got to carry it. We've got to carry our cross and carry our weaknesses. So that's number two. Number three is we got to fight. You got to fight. It's a battle. Um, so how do we fight? As I said, this point has three points underneath it. So how do we fight? Um, first of all, there's, there's a lot of different things I could say under this, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to be speaking obviously more specifically to spiritual things and things biblical because I don't want to completely discredit, you know, doctors and, and, and counseling and medication and stuff like that because I've used all that and it has helped. But I want to focus specifically on how we can fight it in, in a spiritual way. So number one, we can fight it through prayer. And I want to give you some interesting scientific information regarding prayer. So there's something that is called neuroplasticity. And this is a scientific term that refers to the brain's ability to modify, change, and adapt throughout your life in response to your experiences. So your brain actually changes and it grows and it can adapt and evolve. 
and it has the ability to become rewired based on the experiences in your life. Now, this means that there can be a positive side to that, but there can also be a negative side to that as well. And so, because your brain is always learning and it learns whatever is repeated through actions and habits and, and our uh, thoughts, that means that your brain can entrench depressive and anxious and obsessive and addictive uh, patterns in it. But because there's a positive side, your brain is resilient and it can recover from injury and it can, you can learn new things and new skills. And your brain also has the ability to overcome and heal itself from those very same things, the depressive and addictive and anxious things as well. And so if that's all true, that means this, that your life is going in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Your life is going in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Um, so how does this relate to prayer? And to answer that, I want to give you a little bit more science. Uh, there's another, there's a field in science called neurotheology, where it actually studies the correlation between the brain and, and religion, or the brain and God. And prayer has the ability to literally rewire your brain, which is just amazing. So I want to give you a quote here from a woman by the name of Dr. Carolyn Leaf, who is a neuroscientist. And she said this in one of her books, um, 12 minutes of daily focused prayer over an eight-week period can change the brain to such an extent that it can be measured on a brain scan, which is just amazing. Um, I mean, there's kind of your scientific proof that prayer is powerful, prayer works, and prayer can be the thing that can bring about the healing in your life, and it's how we can fight our weaknesses. Um, so, again, let's reflect back to our opening verse, because Paul says, you know, I prayed three times that the Lord would take away the thorn, and he got the answer, my grace is sufficient. So, God didn't take away the thorn, he just said, my grace is sufficient, and um, maybe some of you have sort of obviously prayed those types of prayers, and I certainly did. Lord, please just take this anxiety away from me. And for three and a half years, the answer has pretty much been, Jake, my grace is sufficient. It's still something that I, I struggle with and battle with. Um, it's not as bad today as it was. I have, made, I have made improvements, and things have been better, but it is still a battle sometimes. But I'm learning that God's grace really is sufficient. And, but, but praying for these things when we don't get the answer that we want or hope for, it, you know, it can be discouraging, it can be frustrating. But let me say this regarding prayer. See, this is how God answers prayers. God answers prayers. He answers them by giving us what we would have asked for if we knew everything he knew. He answers them by giving us what we would have asked for if we knew everything he knew and we shared the same perspective that he had. And that's a little tough maybe, but I think it's true because the degree to which you believe that is how much peace you will have in your life. And um, it's not easy. It's a journey. But again, I'm making a commitment every day to just to trust him a little bit more. Um, and this is why you know, this is why we have to, to bear our burdens, because that's what's going to bring about the peace, that's what's going to bring about the restoration in our life. Um, I love what Paul also writes here in Philippians chapter 4. This is a pretty famous passage of scripture regarding fear and anxiety. 
This is what he says. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So just to speak real quickly about peace, the, the Christian idea of peace is more than just simply about expelling negative thoughts. And just a quick word of advice. One of the most unhelpful things you can say to somebody who's dealing with anxiety is, oh, just stop thinking about that. Just get rid of those thoughts and stop thinking about what makes you anxious and as if you can just do it through sheer force of will. It just, it doesn't work that way, and unfortunately. Um, but p the, the Christian idea of peace here isn't necessarily just about expelling negative thoughts, and obviously there is an element of expelling negative thoughts that can be good and helpful, but if all we're doing by trying to achieve peace is expelling negative thoughts, I think sometimes we can be avoiding and ignoring the thing we're supposed to confront. Um, and so it's, it's more about, it's not, peace isn't about necessarily the absence of fear of anxiety, but it's more about God's presence during those times. And when Paul says in verse 8 to, um, you know, to think about these things, to focus on what is right and what is true and noble and all that, what Paul is specifically referring to here is doctrine. And oftentimes when I've read that, I would just think, you know, okay, when, when the anxiety train is just going off the rails in your mind and you're going through the what-if scenarios of every possible conceivable thing that could go wrong or whatever, and, you know, to think about what is true is to just, you know, we try to, okay, stop thinking about all the what-ifs and, and focus on what is true. And, and that's good and that's helpful. But as I said, specifically, Paul's talking about doctrine and what is true according to the Word of God. Well, what is true according to the Word of God is that you were created by a loving God who put a divine purpose in you, who sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. And if you accept him, you are now covered in his grace, and in him you live, and in him you move, and in him you have your very being. That is what is true. That is what is right. That is what is excellent and praiseworthy. That's what we got to focus on. Right. And the, when, if, if you were to go to a bookstore and buy you know, a self-help book or a you know, calm your anxious mind type book and all that, and, and again, those can be helpful, but those are just going to give you techniques to try to you know, deal with the anxiety. And it's not really going to ask you to think about, like, big picture things, which is what Paul's telling us to focus on. Um, you know, what, what am I created for? Why am I here? And what is my purpose? A book out of the store isn't really going to tell you uh, anything with that. But ultimately, in the grand scheme of things, that's what's the most important question. And that's what we need to be reminded of, that, again, God created you and he loves you and he put a purpose and a plan in your life. And so that can be helpful because... Also, how that relates to prayer is because prayer isn't always just speaking to God. It's also thinking and reflecting and allowing Him to speak to you. And so, during your prayer time, as you're presenting your request to God, also take time to think about those things, about what is true according to God's Word. Uh, so, that's number, that's number one. We got to pray. Number two is we got to talk to friends or family or people we trust. That's how we fight. Uh, why should we do that? Well, first of all, Jesus did it, and that's a pretty good model to follow, I would say. 
Um, let's go to Mark chapter 14, and I'm going to read just a few verses here. So this is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus is getting ready to get crucified. This is what it says. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took with him Peter and James and John and began to be distressed and agitated. And he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved even to death. Remain here and keep awake. So Jesus gets his buddies together, and he said to them, he's talking to his friends, my soul is deeply grieved. And I just love the humanity here um, in Jesus that, like, you know, sometimes we hear those things, you know, you got to have faith over fear. And, and, of course, I mean, you know, yeah, faith over fear. But I don't ever want people to feel ashamed or embarrassed because they are going through those things. I mean... My soul is deeply grieved even to death. I think it's safe to say Jesus had some fear. Jesus had some anxiety here. He knows what's getting ready to happen. He's getting ready to be crucified. Um, but what does he do? He gets his buddies, his disciples around him, and he talks and tells them how he's feeling and what he's going through. Also, too, again, back to the opening verse, Paul says to boast gladly of weaknesses. Now, maybe you don't need to necessarily boast gladly to everybody, but you got to at least boast gladly to somebody. Uh, somebody who can handle it that you trust, right? Um, now, for a minute, I just I, I, I want to talk maybe more specifically to men here for a minute, um, because I think it's this point is maybe in general harder for men to do. And I don't want to obviously stereotype all men, but I think in general it's it's harder for men to talk about it. And if I could just say for me personally, um, it's it's harder to talk about it for me. Um, and I think the reason why it's harder for men to talk about, first of all, is because, you know, obviously we're, we don't like talking about our weaknesses. We're, you know, I'm a man, I'm supposed to be strong. And what that really means is, is that we have this, this feeling in, inside of us that to be strong means like, I can handle this myself. I got this. I don't need help. I can handle this. I'm strong. I'm independent. I'm competent. I know what I'm doing. I can handle this. And I think that's one reason why it's difficult to talk about specifically for men, but I think another reason, and at least for me, that it's difficult to talk about is because it is literally difficult to talk about. And what I mean by that is this. So uh, I'm a man, and I would not consider myself a very emotional person, and I think if you were to ask my wife, explain, you know, describe Jake for me, she would probably say something like this. Jake is this. He's just cool, calm, collected Jake. I don't get super high highs. I don't get super low lows. Uh, for the most part, I'm just kind of in my good, fine, neutral mode and everything's good. And, and even when the, the ups and downs do go a little crazy and the anxiety sets in, I'm, I'm pretty good at hiding it. Um, but... It is difficult for me to talk about my feelings, and maybe for one reason, because I don't feel like I have very many to talk about, um, <laughs> but another reason is it's, it's, it's difficult for me to, um, to just use emotional language and emotional terms. It's like I struggle to find the words to use to, to express my feelings in, in word and verbal form. It's just, it's just tricky. It's, it's difficult for me. And... That, that kind of leads into one of my, my insecurities is that um, for the most part, I do pretty well on not letting people's opinions or what they think of me bother me. But the, the one thing that I am insecure on is I just I don't want people to think that I'm dumb. I don't want people to think that I'm incompetent or ignorant or don't know what I'm doing, don't know what I'm talking about. And 
it's, you know, I, I've kind of used that, I think, in, in a positive way that I am, every time I get up here, I am probably so way over prepared than I need to be because I don't want to get up here and just look like some knucklehead who just threw this thing together last night. Like, I, you know, I want to look like I know what I'm talking about and, and communicate well and present myself well. And so I have that insecurity that I don't want to be perceived as somebody who's ignorant or dumb. And so how that relates to talking about my feelings is, you know, if my wife asks me, you know, how are you feeling? Um, and that's difficult for me to, again, put into words. And so I'm sitting there trying to answer that question. And I feel like I can't put a coherent sentence together. And now I feel like an idiot because I can't talk and I don't know what to say and I don't know what words to use. And so um, it's difficult for me. But I have learned the value of and how important it is to be able to talk about it and, and um, my wife has really helped me through this. It's, she's dealt with anxiety for longer than I've had, I have, and um, bef before I started experiencing it, she would, she would talk about it and tell me about it, and it just was not something that I could wrap my brain around. I didn't understand it, and then all of a sudden I started experiencing it myself, and I was like, oh my, this is no joke. Uh, yeah, this is rough stuff, but what she would do is... Um, she she would have to push me a little bit because again naturally is for me is to just keep quiet and just kind of you know stuff it down a little bit and she, but she would push me a little bit and it, it it was good and what she would say is instead of being like you know how are you feeling because I don't know how to answer that question very well she would say you know what what are you thinking what are the thoughts that are going on in your mind one of the things that we figured out I think pretty early on in our relationship um, I think probably even before we got married is. Whenever we were having a discussion and she was giving her opinion, she would say, I feel whatever, whatever it was. And then I would say, I think, and whatever my opinion was. And so there's just that difference. Maybe you've uh, experienced something like that, married folks in the room. But, and so she would just ask, you know, what are the thoughts, what are you thinking about? What's going on in your mind? And that's something, it may seem like just a little simple, silly thing, but that, could, that would help me. I can talk about my thoughts better than I can talk about my feelings, and that would help me kind of start opening up. And, and so, I, you know, she would say, you know, what's going on? I would say, I'm anxious. And she'd say, okay, what's going through your mind? And, and I would just be like, it's just the same thing. And, like, I didn't want to say any, I didn't want to talk about it anymore because I'm like, it's just the same thing over and over. It's just this obsessive thought that, again, there's something wrong with me. I'm sick. I have some condition. I have some illness. I, I feel like I'm not healthy. But as soon as I would just get that out, it would help. And it's like you would literally feel the burden just lighten a little, a little bit, and it would help. And it's just, it's so, it's so important. Um, you got to find somebody to talk about. And I think that's why it was cool to see those handful of people raise their hands because, again, there's somebody there who may know what you're going through and, and understands um, you know, what you're experiencing, and that's somebody who you could talk to, and that's why I love life groups, and that's what we do here is um, there's, there's people here who, who care about you and, and want you, you know, want you to be healthy, and um, so that is number two. Uh, we got to talk about it. Number three is worship, and worship comes in different forms, but more specifically, I'm referring to kind of the praise aspect of worship, um, I have had times where I've been laying in bed at night feeling anxious, and I'll roll over, wake up my wife, tell her, and we'll turn on the TV, put on YouTube, and we'll just turn on some praise music. Um, the, the one that we played just a little bit ago is one of my favorites. What a beautiful name it is. I can't tell you how many times I've played that song. 
Um, but just playing the music, and I'll, I'll sing quietly uh, to myself in bed. Um, but something about when you actually do sing and say the words, I, I have experienced where the anxiety just feels like it just starts to dissipate. And it, it's just powerful when we can, again, shift our focus onto better things, onto our creator. Um, it helps. I love what the old hymn lyrics say. Um, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And it is true, everybody. It is true. Um, yeah. So, uh, worship is an act that involves your entire being, your mind, your will, your emotions, and you're using all that to ascribe ultimate value to something or to someone. And the, the fact of the matter is that everybody worships something regardless of if you're religious or not. We all have something that we ascribe ultimate value to. And in a way, whatever that is, that more or less kind of becomes a God or your God or whatever that is. And um, I want to read 2 Corinthians chapter 10 because I think this, is, um, this just fits in with praise and worship. Paul writes this chapter, in verse 5, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. And worship is how we can take captive our thoughts and make them obedient to Christ. And so when we worship, that is us refocusing um, who we are and our value in the right direction and on the right person. Um, when we take a break, it's like, you know, when we take a break to worship, it's like saying, okay, I need to stop, I need to pause, and I need to refocus the ultimate value of my life onto the Lord. And if you've been coming to Radius for any length of time, you've maybe heard my dad say something like, okay, for the next 60 minutes, I want you to set your troubles on the shelf for a minute, and let's just refocus and, and, and focus on God. Uh, this is my last verse, and then I'll, I'll be concluding. Psalm 57, verses 4 through 5, says this, I am in the midst of lions, I am forced to dwell among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. And this is, uh, this is really powerful because what the psalmist is doing here is they're, you know, they're trying to calm themselves. They're trying to bring peace onto themselves, um, not by asking God to do something, but by praising and worshiping his name. Like the psalmist says, okay, I'm in the midst of lions. And he doesn't say, Lord, take the lions away. Deliver me out of the lions. I'm in the midst of lions, a.k.a. I am anxious, amongst other things. But then to handle that, instead of asking God to do something, he just says, be exalted, O God. I'm going to elevate and raise and lift up your name. And that is what happens when we praise his name and worship him. So, in conclusion, I have stood up here today and I've done my best to follow the words of Paul, to stand up here and boast of my weaknesses. And so, I stand before you today as somebody, I am weak, uh, I am insecure, I am vulnerable, I have anxiety, but I am learning how to be content with that. I am learning that His grace really is sufficient and I am learning how to trust him more and more every day. Because of that, I am strong.
And it's not my strength, it's his strength living and dwelling and residing inside of me. And the same thing is true for you too. Thank you. Yeah, the same thing is true for you. You, you are weak, but if you accept Christ in your life, you are strong because it's ultimately his strength that is living and dwelling inside of you. So I hope that was encouraging because that is all I have for you today. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, thank you.